Today's episode is brought to you by Studio. They create fashionable, high-quality headphones, bridging the gap between function and style. Yes, and today I'm using my pink Vasas from Studio. They go perfectly with my Brown Girls Do Ballet phone case and my laptop case, because you know how I feel about matching my brand. <laughs> right. <laughs> so as a listener of the Brown Girls Do podcast, you can get your own pair of Studio headphones by visiting studio.com and using the code BROWNGIRLSDO. Let them know what you're made of, their strength in you. She don't let no one tell her what she can't do. You're a survivor, keep going higher. There is no limit. Brown girls do. Brown girls do music. Brown girls do work in their community. Brown girls do ballet. Brown girls do design. Brown girls do corporate America. Brown girls do Brown girls do gymnastics. Brown girls do writing. Brown girls do film. Brown girls do fundraising. Brown girls do. All right. Welcome back to the Brown Girls Do podcast. This is episode eight. Eight. Magic eight. Like eight ball. Magic eight. (laughs) Eight ball. Yes. I need one of those right now. I need a magic eight ball to figure out my life. (laughs) (laughs) I just need a magic eight ball to carry around in my pocket and just, I mean, even as, as I'm going about my regular day, like, should I get a number one or a number two, shake it up and let it tell me that's where I am in my life right now. I need direction. You need like a decision maker. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Well, you can maybe carry around some dice. Like that might be a good way to get like some basic numbers feedback, but no, I feel that I, um, you know, here we are over 30 days in 2018 and it is busy as heck. <laughs> and um, and just 2018 was supposed to be better. You were Man. supposed to be better. Listen, so I will say it's better for me, um, but it's 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 it is not glamorous. Like I, I think when you tell people and I'm learning this being new to, you know, being an entrepreneur myself, when you tell people that you own your business and you have a company, people right off the bat make some immediate assumptions about your income. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like mm-hmm. that there is a lot of it. And because that title, I mean, if you tell someone, you know, you're a CEO of your own company, that means, oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And there are no real words to really depict like when you are still in startup mode. Right. So you say startup and people think you're a tech company. So you can't really say that. And then you say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur and people think that you're on a private jet everywhere you go. (laughs) And so then you say, oh, I am a small business owner. And they only hear owner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it always has this connotation that you are succeeding in ways that you may be succeeding, but probably in a much more painful process than what people are saying. Yeah, I I think I think about success differently now as an entrepreneur than I did before. Like, you know, success before would be you get that job that pays that particular salary. I'm successful. You know, I can buy what I want to buy. But as an entrepreneur, Success may be returning all your phone calls this week. Yes. <laughs> Making sure my email Just box that. is clear by the time the week ends. Okay. Yes, I completely agree. Success looks completely different. Like you are literally, I never understood 
not feeling like there were not enough hours in the day the way that I understand it now. <laughs> like Absolutely. There's- Absolutely. You can you can set a plan for the day. You can, you know me, I'm a list maker. I can have my list. I may have 10 things on it. I could even put three mm-hmm. things on the list. But life comes at you fast. If you don't get to that third thing, then you may not feel like your day was mm-hmm. a success. And I think other people, they may see you on your phone or see you on your laptop and they, they think that you're doing something that is very quick and glamorous, but you're yeah. grinding. And that can be a little painful yeah. sometimes, especially for yes. your bank account. I mean, the rewards are great. <laughs> like I think when I do, you know, I, there's no better day than the day I send out invoices. <laughs> like I am really excited to mm-hmm. do that. But there are a lot of things that I think people look at and kind of glamorize. You know, leadership is not gr- glamorous. Being the person that has to make tough calls and decisions, you know, is not always glamorous. And there are some days where I'm like, yeah, I could really use a day off. <laughs> and I can't, and yes, I can't take one. Like, I don't, you know, I'm responsible with a lot of this business being successful, which is really important to me on my shoulders. And so I don't get a lot of grace and, um, some sleepy real. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay. (laughs) Sleepy since 2009. (laughs) I thought I was sleepy, but like I'm real life sleepy now. Like I actually yawn in public and like find myself forgetting things because I haven't had enough rest. Um, so our uh, our guest today is a CEO of, well, I'll, I'll let her talk about what she actually does, but she too has um, has felt the grind burn because it is a grind trying to figure out, especially now you've got the world of social media and people paint this picture like social media makes life so much easier when really social media is a major learning curve and it's always changing. And so you're kind of always in this position to try to figure out how do I position myself and use these tools effectively. Um but anyway, I digress. We are talking to someone today that, uh, well, we aren't talking because someone was under the weather. <laughs> and I'm an entrepreneur, so it's not like, you know. <laughs> so I am talking today um, with our guest, and we'll just let her go ahead and introduce herself. My name is Imriel Morgan, and I run the Shout Out Network. So I am the CEO and co-founder of the UK's Diverse Podcast Network. Wow. So you started an entire podcast network. And trust me, I know how painful that is because we're actually with a pretty new podcast network ourselves and we are watching them kind of have the blues going through the process. So how did you get into that? So uh, that is such an interesting story. The founder of the network, um, we're actually engaged now, but he and I met on Tinder and. I didn't know what a podcast was. This was back in 2014, I want to say. And he was building this podcast network. I didn't know what that was. I didn't really understand it. He knew what he wanted to call it. And maybe about three months into seeing each other, he was buying equipment and filling up his house with all of the stuff and pitching like uh, hosts and things. And I worked in marketing. I still work in marketing. And he needed some help kind of branding and creating this thing. He didn't know what to do. So I started helping with the marketing and just trying to establish the overall brand. 
and in that time that's kind of when I became more aware of what podcasts were I started listening to Serial I started listening to The Read and eventually it just became very clear that I kind of knew more about business and general startups than he did so he asked me if I would just kind of take over and run it and so yeah that's kind of how it got started I was asked um I reluctantly accepted the position of CEO I really did not see myself as a leader or in a leadership position at all I always felt like I was going to be a really good second in command kind of person um and yeah it was it was a it was a tough thing to take on because I don't think this was now we're in like 2015 when I took that that role or that title and I think I didn't fully understand or realize like quite what that meant and how involved it was until maybe 2017 so it was a very long growth <laughs> in in my position of just getting yeah just getting things so wrong and getting some things really right and yeah it's been a really tough, tough journey, but it's fun. Wow. So lots of follow-up questions for that. <laughs> like, first, I don't think I knew that the UK had Tinder. Like, Tinder is, like, really global. Like, I didn't, I don't think I realized that. So that's awesome. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. And, I mean, look at it this way. You met somebody off Tinder and you have survived building a business together. Like, relationships don't always you know, really make it through business. That's a, that's a hard thing to be with someone and be their business partner. It so is so hard. To you. Thank you. It is tough. <laughs> <laughs> I want to dig in a little bit into, I mean, well, a number of things, but really, you know, you made a statement that I think is important to kind of hear more about. You said, you know, I'm CEO and I reluctantly took that role and, I kind of always saw myself as second in command. You're the second woman I've heard say that to me this week. Oh, wow. And so I just want to know if, yeah, yeah. I mean, I work in the diversity space, so I mean, you know, I pull things out of people, but, you know, it just was really, it stuck with me when she said it, and then you've literally said it again. So can you get into that? Like, say more about, you know, what was the reluctance? Like, why didn't you feel like it was you know, your calling to be the leader and, and what's changed about that? Like, do you still, you know, kind of question that space? Are you confident in it? Give me a little bit of insight into that. That is such a good question. And I've never probed uh, into that too much. So the few times that I've been put in a position of authority, I am, I have found myself to be quite domineering and I would guess I would consider it to be aggressive um, and almost kind of like a, a bit of a dictator without like being dramatic. I found, I, I, okay. I, I just didn't like how or who I became when I've had to take on or been thrust into leadership positions. Um, having said that I was 25, 26 at the time. Um, and all those other positions, I would have been like 21 and 22. So I really had no sense of who I was in that way or in a position of leadership like a true position of leadership it was very much like if you're a team leader for today um I kind of barked orders and wasn't very good at listening um so knowing that those times I've been a leader I just found it so stressful that I think I handle I like 
and respected people that were very calm, very reassuring. Um, those are the kinds of qualities I'd admired in my bosses that I've had. And I wasn't that. And I didn't see myself being that in a position of leadership. So that's why I always said, I'm a really good second. I'm the person that you would come to, to have a harder conversation or to kind of, if you gave me an order or you gave me an instruction, I'm very good at being able to kind of carry it out in the way that you want, even if it's a really tough one. So I felt like that was my strength and leadership was more about compassion and understanding people and being willing to communicate. And I think for me, I never really had an interest or desire to, to figure any of that out. I was just really good at like, just give, tell me what you need me to do so I can just do that. Um, so that was a lot of where that apprehension came. Uh, what changed? I guess because it was, I don't want to say it was forced, but there wasn't really anyone else to do it. And honestly, if I had let FA carry on doing it, it probably wouldn't have been uh, very fruitful and we probably wouldn't have been in the position that we currently are. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he 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 had it was almost like there was really no choice and it forced me to confront some of those things that i was resisting in myself like being able to communicate better to be more of a team player uh to find compassion to understand that when someone is working with you and you either can't pay them or pay them a lot of money that they have other things in their life and kind of just looking at every individual as an individual with a whole and full life outside of what we're doing um, and like I said, it took, it was a very long learning process. And then that was the more organizational side of things. Uh, on the practical side, I don't think I had an issue with wanting to run a business and the kind of general day-to-day admin, because that feels methodical and it makes sense. And there's almost like a logic that I can follow with it, but I definitely really struggled with the, the people side and the communication, um, on a one-to-one, I'm a much better wordsmith in, in, in writing, um, so mm. I'm a good writer, not a great talker, funnily enough, which I think is hilarious because I'm a podcaster. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, so how did you jump into, so, I mean, you took on this leadership role, you were running the business side of Shout Out Network, which I want to definitely at some point give you a chance to speak about Shout Out Network. I think it's really important that our listeners hear about that, mm-hmm. but also, um, it, I mean, you were the business and then at some point you decided to podcast. Was that kind of thrust upon you or did you decide I'm interested? I want a podcast. I want to talk about these things. Can you give us a little bit of perspective about that? I can. Um, No, I did not want to podcast at all. Uh, I think I started, (laughs) I started listening, like I said, maybe around the beginning of 2015 and I think I was watching FA, you know, seek out talent. So bear in mind, like podcasting is really kind of thrust into the world, like in the last two, three years, at least here anyway, where people are kind of coming into it more and more. At, back in 20, 2014, 2015, there were like very few, maybe one or two black British podcasters that I don't know if they were even consistent. I'm not even sure if there were really that many or any at all. Um, so trying to explain what that is, we knew that we had, we had a very clear mission and that we wanted it to be for people from underrepresented backgrounds and disadvantaged backgrounds and to kind of level the playing field in terms of representation. And 
trying to explain that and get people to understand what that means and why podcasting is the medium for it. It was really tough. Like people did not understand it. They did not get it. They wanted, we started a show um, and that broke down really quickly simply because the person just was like, why don't we just do YouTube instead? It's like, it's a very different thing. That's why I know we don't, this is audio. This is not video. That's different. And so in the end, I guess FA was getting very frustrated with not making much progress in the way of talent. And I kind of saw that frustration. I was like, well, I mean, I guess I could start one with a friend of mine and we can just show and prove. Um, This is what we're trying to create. And hopefully that will attract like-minded people to want to come and create with us. And that is exactly what happened. So we started Melon and Millennials maybe by November, we recorded, uh, November 2015. And then by, I want to say May, we had, uh, we were getting a good few pictures. Maybe we had about 15 or 20 pictures um, for different shows. So we added, I think, six shows in 2015 alone. Um, mm, wow. So we had a massive rapid turnaround of, creating content and just putting stuff out there and seeing what worked. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't that I wanted to be like the face, but the show did really well, really quickly. Uh, when we got to early 2016, we had a conversation with ACAST, which is a hosting platform and a monetizing platform. And one of the people there, her name is Renee. She said, you know, there are five black British podcasts in the UK right now. And I think the three or four of them had started around the same time as us. So from the Mm. beginning of 2016, there was five, I think by May, June time, there were maybe like 20, 25 by the end of like 2017. I think there's well over a hundred now. Wow. Um, black British podcasters and Melinda Millennials was really the first one that actually like broke into mainstream media and they started paying attention to what we were doing. And so, yeah, it was definitely a show improve. And then it kind of took off (laughs) and became a lot bigger than I maybe anticipated. And so I became this voice in the space and I was like, this is all of the things I do not want in this world, but here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it funny how life gives you all the things you think you really didn't want? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's really strange. (laughs) Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Um, so I don't know what you know about the U S as far as the podcasting numbers, but it's very similar. There's, um, not a lot of black podcasters in the U S and there's also not a lot of women. Mm -hmm. So the majority of the voices that we hear in podcasting are, are male voices and, you know, where there are, the interesting thing about that is that there are, you know, some women that are diverse, but there just aren't a lot of women, you know, Mm -hmm. period. And so, um, there are also some obstacles there as far as finding, support and and interest from the people that you need to be invested in helping the podcasting world survive for um people who are of diverse background or you know that are not male you know so it's uh it, it it's definitely something that's that's being overcome here now there are i mean far too many podcasts for me to begin to count. And I don't know the data off the top of my head, but I listen to enough of them to know that 
even when there are topics being discussed that are very relevant to people of color or women, oftentimes those podcasts are still being driven by men or being driven by white men. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting because, you know, you'll get the right guests, but they still don't really have their own space and platform to to have a voice, which is definitely what Lemon Drop Media is trying to do. Yeah. So I, I can appreciate the struggle in your story and that you saw his vision because yeah. it is a big difference to do video versus audio. Um, and sometimes people do miss that because video can feel a lot easier to consume. Yes, for sure. Even though audio is way easier, for sure. Like. <laughs> In just creating production. I think so too. The fact that you can do so much whilst listening immediately makes yeah, it such yeah. an easy, exactly. beautiful medium. But yeah, everyone yeah. likes that. I mean, things. you can clean up with your earbuds in, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> right. We're going to hear more of Emriel's interview in a moment. This is the Brown Girls Do podcast by Lemon Drop Media. Studio wants to revolutionize the way people see headphones as not just a tech device, but also an accessory. So I love my Vosses because they're good for travel. On the go, they're easy to carry, stylish. The sound quality is also good enough for me to edit and record the Brown Girls Do podcast. Yeah, and as a listener of the Brown Girls Do podcast, you can get your own pair of studio headphones by visiting studio.com and using the code BROWNGIRLSDO. Um, so let's kind of shift around a little bit. Can you tell me about Shout Out Network? So the Shout Out Network is we had so many different taglines but we are the UK's diverse podcast network uh I recently found out that we're probably the UK one of the UK's most prominent podcast networks um as there's not Yay, that many that's good news yeah that was cool to find out I feel like people tell me things about myself that I had have no knowledge of um and about the business and I'm like <laughs> they're like there are no real like proper networks out there and I was like there aren't um so we we are the home of underrepresented voices, really. And by that, we mean we create shows and content that are almost free at the point of access for some hosts. There's going to be a bit of a switch in the model for that. But generally speaking, we try to create shows by people with an interesting story to tell or an interesting perspective. And if double points, if you are speaking on a subject that you don't typically see yourself represented in. So it's not that all of the stories need to be race, uh, race or gender motivated. But if you are, you happen to be an Asian woman that really loves ballet, for example, then we will create that show simply because it, it you're, you're, you're a minority within kind of this niche subject. And that's interesting to us. So we have produced about six shows so we kind of are very much production focused if you have a pitch or an idea you can send that in and we'll vet it and we'll look at it um and also help you kind of create it so FA spends a lot of time going through the emails and going through the pitches and making sure that people fully understand what it means to create a podcast what the space looks like for us as people of color um because in terms of discovery, it's still pretty horrific across the board. Yeah. Um, and only a select number of voices seem to get pushed out and lauded and celebrated. And so it's definitely an uphill battle. I think a lot of people here look at podcasting as this, oh, I'm going to just start a podcast. It's going to be super easy. I could just record on my phone. And um, I mean, you can, 
but will it be good? Will people listen to it? And I think, yeah, I think we try to definitely manage expectations and have very realistic conversations about what can and cannot be done in the format as it currently is. So we we try to be as supportive of the industry as we can um, and allow as many voices coming through, especially if they're diverse voices. We There's just not enough of us. We just kind of want to see that flourish and thrive. So any way we can support it, that's what we do. But typically for our host, people come, pitch, we like it, we create it and we go in on that show. So we have our festival. We have an annual festival. Uh, which we started. Oh, wow. Yeah, we started that last year. Um, I mean, that was just traumatic because events are traumatic. <laughs> but <laughs> it was definitely one of the greatest. It is to date my greatest achievement. Um, 800 people. It was headlined by the Brilliant Idiots. And Charlemagne came down, did a book signing for his book, Black Privilege. And oh, wow. Friend Zone there. Uh, BuzzFeed's Another Round was also there headlining it as well. Uh, it was a a really great day. Like I'm so glad that we managed to pull that off and that we got the support of, you know, these shows that some of us have been listening to for a good while. And we had always been looking as the UK, we always look to the US for content, especially where it comes to representation, because you guys surprisingly do it a lot better than the UK. Like we don't. Really? I am surprised to hear that. So much better. Oh my God. Um, There is no representation here, especially if you're a black woman. The UK is just shockingly bad um, at representing women of color in general. So Mm. yeah, we, we had been listening to a lot of US based shows and a lot of US content in terms of like journalism and we are very, we, we internalize some of that. And so that's kind of why the network came about is that we wanted to have a space that kind of uniquely told kind of the British perspective more so. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just a place that we can say, this is our content. This is what life is like here. So we weren't internalizing some of the, the kind of more harsh um, and negative aspects of what it's like to be an African-American, uh, even though we do have some similar, there's a lot of, um, correlation in the experience but yeah some of it I think yeah is pretty horrendous like the 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 brutality is definitely something that we were internalizing really felt over here um but we also mm-hmm. had to be able to have a space where we can also share some of those experiences so that's really why we got started um and so we do we do a lot of things not all of them make us a lot of money but we love doing it and we haven't stopped yet so now we're creating more shows and hoping for the best. You're doing quite a bit. And now that I also know that you're engaged, I'm even more impressed. <laughs> um, so I, I just love to hear you tell us about what you are working on outside of kind of keeping shout out network profitable and afloat and, and attention grabbing and shining and putting on events, which by the way, I used to do events for a uh, very, very large company and <laughs> I know how painful events can be. Yeah. So yes, hats <laughs> off to you for that. But what's what's coming down the pipe? What else are you working on? So right now we are working on this year's festival. Um, that is going to be... What's the name of the festival? It's called Shout Out Live, the festival. Uh, it might just become, become Shout Out Live Festival because that the becomes really weird sometimes but shout out live the festival we're focusing on women in podcasting this year so we're looking at that being in may 
And so we're just kind of speaking to a lot of female podcasters in the UK at the moment to find out how we can basically create this beautiful environment of speaking about getting more women into podcasting, more women of color in general, and just carving out that space and celebrating it because I don't think that's really been done before ever. Um, so that's going to be the next festival in May, hopefully. Uh, Wannabe, which is my podcast, is doing really well. So we're kind of just going to keep growing that. And that was another case of showing improving where we wanted to make a very clear example of the kinds of content that we do. So one of these very produced, it's a lot of editing, a lot of production goes into it. So we kind of wanted to level up um, on our show quality and how we produce things. And we've got two new shows starting. So one's called Wolves in the City, which is the kind of black LGBTQ experiences. And we've got another show called Not Another Book Podcast, which is three women who love mostly African literature, but just talking about the literature world and the publishing industry at large, um, which is also surprisingly or unsurprisingly very white here in the UK. So they're kind of shining a light back and reflecting on on the publishing world um, and how literature is kind of coming about. And some of those topics are going to be really interesting. Like, you know, how can we be critical of authors of colour without affecting their book sales? How do we keep supporting this industry? But what what do you say if you don't like, you know, the content that's coming out of X publishing house? So it's going to be very critical. And I'm really mm. looking forward to that kind of honest and gritty. Yeah. Rawness, but from like a book perspective, which I think is much needed. So there's a few shows happening. It's a very busy time. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do a festival and all of that. But yeah, we've got, we're very excited about the new shows. And so we'll see how they pan out. And hopefully they'll all be very successful by May. So we can put them on the festival lineup. Oh, awesome. So I'm just going to put a little note here that podcasting is very hard. (laughs) Um, Yes. We jumped into it kind of blind and we weren't quite as bad as, hey, we can just record it on our phone, but maybe maybe a bit two steps above that. Yeah. Like really, really still close to that. <laughs> and so um, we didn't really get editing. We didn't really understand audio quality. We didn't really understand like how time intensive. I mean, like we had no real perspective. What we knew is that we love podcasts and that we knew some really interesting people and wanted to, to your earlier point, give them an opportunity to have their voices heard in a space that feels authentic Mm -hmm. and can relate to them. And so I can totally relate to and appreciate your thought process behind making sure people are prepared, being really um, careful about messaging to people that this can be challenging Mm -hmm. and what part they need to play in it, as well as resourcing them. Like, this is what you will need. This is how this needs to go so that we produce the kind of quality that's going to give us some sustainability and, you know, some validity in the podcasting world. So I, you've got a lot (laughs) going on and producing shows and all of that stuff. It it is really, um, it is quite a bit of heavy lifting. And then a podcast festival, I mean, I can only begin to imagine how pulling something like that together um, can weigh on you from a time constraint. But I I know it has to be immeasurably exciting to see it all come together, knowing that you have a goal of helping to connect people in a space 
that they otherwise don't have a way to get connected. Because even if you're listening to one another's podcasts, when do you end up in the same room together? When do you get to have thought leadership and dialogue and share ideas and, you know, figure out, okay, how is this person overcoming this particular struggle? And, you you know, you're you're always on the phone or on audio and you never really get the chance to engage with those people. So I think that's awesome and amazing. And I'm going to try to attend your festival if that's possible. (laughs) Thank you. You're Um, welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to go. It sounds amazing. And I've never been to the UK, so that would be exciting. Is it is the festival going to be in the UK? Yeah, yeah. so it's going to be in London. Okay. But people have asked okay. if we're going to take this to America, and I'm like, that just sounds like a different kind of challenge that I am unprepared to think about at this t- at this particular time. I don't know. I don't know. You might just need a little partnership. It could happen. <laughs> yeah, it definitely needs to be like someone on the ground needs to be there because I just cannot... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so um, I want you to finish this sentence. Brown girls are resilient. Mm, Say more about that. I guess I have demonstrated resilience often and I now can recognize it now that that word is kind of more acutely in focus. Um, I see that with a lot of black women. There is so much resilience and our ability to overcome what feels like constant negativity, um, othering, and almost being treated as if we're invisible and gaslighting. There's just so much that gets loaded onto us that you have to have a certain kind of strength to kind of still wake up every day. Um, And there are times where you don't want to wake up (laughs) and you want to lie in bed, but you, you get up anyway and you you carry on and persevere so I I'm opting for resilience because I like I like that word I think it embodies a lot of what we go through um, and how we combat the world first we would like to thank Emriel for episode eight and teaching us some podcast lessons to help us with our podcast in the future this episode is brought to you by studio we'd like to thank lemon drop media and encourage you to listen to some other podcasts on the network hidden scribes is one of our favorites for hearing interesting stories from aspiring authors see you in a couple weeks